I feel like I'm on Howard Stern. Well, you, well, <laughs> Stearns. You you are without Stearns? the half naked women in vulgarity. That's, yeah. that's kind of what that, that's <laughs> what this is. It's there Howard might be a little Stern. bit of vulgarity. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll watch myself. Right. That might be difficult. <laughs> right. We got to keep it. it. It's a it's a family oriented show. <laughs> All right. If if by family you mean medical students who have <laughs> delicate ears and are... medical students are vulgar. <laughs> I, I was like, I could get a lot when I lecture with, with medical students. I think I'll be all right. This is this is the Rotations podcast. I'm Todd Fredericks, assistant professor of family medicine at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, and uh, we're with Nisarg Bakshi, our host, and he's going to take us into the show. Yes. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, my name is Nisarg Bakshi, second year medical student at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. And today for our episode of Rotations, we're joined by Dr. Atkins, our resident pharmacist and teacher here at the school. Uh, she's on her second cup of coffee of the morning, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> maybe more. There maybe might, more. Maybe more. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. Atkins. Thank you. It's great to be here. Of course. And uh, we have Sam Long here as well, one of my colleagues, a recently second year medical student um, enjoying her summer. So thank you for joining us this morning. Not a problem. <laughs> so Dr. Atkins, uh, tell us about what you do. What I do. So I'm actually a doctor of pharmacy, but I went to school a long time ago before there was a doctorate program. So I actually had my BS in farm. Does anybody else think BS is funny? Am I allowed to say that, Dr. Frederick? I think BS is okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had my BS in farm, and I graduated in 1998 from University of Toledo. And I went into the real world, and I worked in what they call now community pharmacy. It used to be called retail, right? No longer retail. It's considered community pharmacy. And I worked there for two years and then went to home delivery pharmacy. So I worked at Medco Health Solutions, which is now Express Scripts, for a really long time. And then I decided, you know what, I really want something more clinical. But at the time, they had already made the PharmD a mandatory school. So a lot of students were going and getting their bachelor's, and then they would go and get their doctorate program. So it was then added on to the, there was no, no such thing now as a BS in farm. Okay, so right. they're all doing doctorates. So in order to get a more clinical position, I was like, I should go back to school. So I did. I went back to school. And in 2010, I graduated with my PharmD from Ohio State. And then I, um, life happened. It always is, see, there's a gap right there. So anyway, life happened. I actually really loved my job. I worked a lot of hours, um, 60 hours a week, and I was a knowledge manager. A knowledge like manager? Oh, yeah. Can What's you that believe mean? that, Fredericks? A, no <laughs> <laughs> a knowledge manager or a knowledge wrangler? <laughs> I managed, I actually managed, I managed it. 50 pharmacists, I was managing knowledge. It was, it was very entertaining, to say the very least. It and what company cool. was this for? This is actually for Medco, which is not around any longer. Medco okay. Health Solutions. Well, it begs the question, what does a knowledge manager do? Because that sounds like some, some contrived position. Like, <laughs> I'm the executive vice president for uh, big ideas and good idea fairies. I mean, yes. I don't even know what that means. It is. And every time I say it, I'm like, I was the knowledge <laughs> managing knowledge. <laughs> so what I did was, so at the time in 2006, CMS went, you know CMS? Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Mm -hmm. Every year they come out with a call letter. And in the call letter in 2006 was this little teeny tiny sentence that said pharmacists could offer, anyone could offer, it wasn't pharmacists at the time, counseling for patients on Medicare with multiple disease states and multiple physicians who were over the age of 65 because it was Medicare. So... 
that's what we got to do. So we started doing that with a group of pharmacists where we would counsel pharmacists for about 30 or counsel patients for about 30 minutes on the phone about their medications. And only people who were who were eligible had chronic conditions and multiple medications. So, but I got to do that and I was I was a knowledge manager for about 5 years. So it was a great job. I actually listened to phone calls of for quality clinical quality clinical information to make sure the information they were providing to the patients was appropriate. Uh, uh, I have a quick question yeah. about that. So you must have become pretty good about looking at clinical states. Absolutely. It's not something that I don't think many physicians assume that the education of a pharmacist includes disease states. Absolutely. So, so what prepared you for that? That's such an amazing question. So before I did my, before I became the knowledge manager, I was actually in school for my PharmD. And in the PharmD curriculum, they do include some physiology. But from, so when I am in school, so with my undergrad even, we have to learn about disease states in order to know that, understand the drug information. Can I expand on that a little bit? Because this is what kind of cool what I've learned about being here at the medical school. So when I started here, I had no clue what your pharmacy, what your pharmacology information consisted of, right? I didn't know what your classes were like. I didn't know who taught or what was what you needed to know for your boards. I had no idea. So what I've learned is, so my med students, your physiology is amazing, right? Your physiology, your pathophys, awesome. The drug information that you get is pretty minimal compared to what pharmacists do. So opposite side... Pharmacy students get really minimal physiology and pathophys, just enough to learn about what the drugs will do to that condition. But it's flip-flopped. So, But drug knowledge, we have like three years of drug information, like three years of it. And that's a PharmD program. So that's with your BS. And then they go into the like three years of drug information. Okay. So it's interesting to me because the physiology piece is pretty minimal. Yeah, and, and I know for me, uh, at, while we learn pharmacy here at school, it, it's pretty challenging. Uh, yeah. It's almost like a different language, right? You, right? you see these names that you've never seen before. Right. So I can't imagine how going to school strictly for that, how difficult that material is. That's what I enjoy, right? <laughs> do you enjoy the physiology? I do. And the diagnosis part, right? Yeah. It's fun. For me, the drugs, it's like a puzzle. It's like, okay, if this person does, if they're this old and they have this many conditions and they're on these other medications, what is it that we can add or change or delete to make it a better, to make the person feel better or improve their condition or whatever we're doing? And how did you get interested in pharmacy? Oh, that's such a good question. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so you're going to laugh because it was a really long time ago. In the days of ponies and rainbows, when I was a little <laughs> tiny, a little tiny person, my sister, my older sister, was actually very sick. She was diagnosed with glomerular nephritis idiopathic. So this was, remember, this is like in the 80s, okay? So, and at the time, it was, actually it was in the 70s, late 70s. So no one had a clue, all right? So she was little, seven, five to seven years old. And so she was on medications all the time. So we went to the pharmacy absolutely all the time. We were there probably two or three times a week. And I was in the, so at this time, it had been maybe five years. I was in the second grade. I was like, Mom, let's get a candy bar at the pharmacy. So that's actually where it started. That's why I used to get candy bars, regardless of the candy bars. I was like, what's that guy do? I was like, that is a pharmacist. And you know what? She's like, Sarah, you might like that because it's science and it's math. And I think you would really enjoy that. So seriously, it's been since like the second grade. That's yeah. awesome. So you, you started off in the community side of it and then you yes. moved on to the more clinical yeah. Uh, what was your day-to-day -day life like in that community side, and oh, how did that change? You're awesome. Let's talk about the community. Um, the thing I think about community pharmacy, it could, it could be really fantastic. 
okay, you have a lot of very talented, smart people that stand behind that kind of that have, have a lot of education. Right now, they have four years undergrad and either two years or four years of their professional degree with their doctorates, plus rotations. So, And some of them have residencies. Some of them have gone that additional year to a residency. So behind that counter, you have some really clinical pharmacists who are very rushed to get a lot of things done. And it is a lot of problem solving. And most of it comes from the insurance end, which I think is um, sort of a waste of their time. But that's what they do. And they literally are putting out fires all day. They're taking phone calls. They're filling prescriptions offline. They're trying to manage whoever's in the pharmacy. And usually it's one pharmacist to how many technicians or interns. So there could be pharmacist students in there as well working. So it is a what I would love it if as med students you could step behind the pharmacy. 4 hours would be plenty of time for you to see what all goes on. Yeah. So there's phone-in prescriptions, there's e-prescriptions now and the fax, right? So you're getting prescriptions coming in from all different paths and you have people filling those. So when that's done, you have to check every single prescription that comes through, right? You also have so on the computer comes up drug interactions. So like with an EMR or EHR, you're like typing in a prescription and the box pops up. This has a drug interaction or this person has a certain condition. They have high blood pressure. This might interact or whatever. It comes up on there. So every time one of those pops up, the pharmacist needs to come over and evaluate what that says, whether there's a drug interaction. So it's a hectic, clinical, quick-acting process all the time. So not only that, but then you have patients at the window that really you should be counseling on every single prescription that leaves that pharmacy. Every prescription. You know that little thing you sign that says, did you want to talk to a, they say, do you want to talk to the pharmacist? And you're like, no. And then you sign that little thing. That actually started in 1990s, early 1990s. Um, There was an act called the OBRA 90, and it actually was a point to make patients have counseling every time they picked up a prescription. And that's what that is. And people oftentimes don't know that. They're like, yeah, I'm just signing that I picked up my prescription. No, it's actually a counseling law that took place that you had the option to talk to a pharmacist. How often do patients actually ask you for counseling? That is such a fantastic question. Maybe like 5% of the time of all the patients that come through, 5%. But you have to remember people are picking up refills, right? right? They think they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then how much... And I believe that it's more of a... I have to want, like I as a pharmacist want to tell you about things. So we used to write things on the bag or put notes on there that I need to talk to the patient before they pick this up. And that actually happens. That's a better way to talk to the patient than say, the patient's like, yeah, I have a bunch of questions for you. What I've noticed as a clinician is there's two types of pharmacists, Mm -hmm. those that are awesome Mm -hmm. and those that suck. I agree. And I decided at some point that I wanted to be helping the ones that suck to become awesome, okay. and I wanted to have a good relationship with them. And one nice thing about EHR is, is it does, and on mm-hmm. the clinical side, we do get drug interactions. Yeah. And I find myself frequently making a little note, hoping it helps the pharmacist, you can tell me if it does or not, saying, no, this patient's amoxicillin allergy is they felt nauseated. Absolutely. So the, or the augmentin allergy, and the amoxicillin, they're okay with that. Absolutely. Um, or I'll even put in there, please review interactions with this patient as a second level of check checklist, because like, especially in the elderly, where you, you're not quite sure, you, you know that they're compass mentis, they, they're, they're tracking, but are you really sure? I always feel like there's a double layer of, if, I, if the pharmacist comes as a Mrs. Jones, you know, if you take this medication, you need your potassium checked in right. a week. Um, and I think that relationship needs to be ex- developed more between clinicians and the pharmacists because that 
Atul Gawande talks about the checklist manifesto, right? Absolutely. Of, of having layers of protection for patients, especially with the polypharmacy we see today. Absolutely. I feel like for a long time, so when I first started, so like late 90s, mm-hmm. the, rota- the, the relationships between a physician and a pharmacist were really strained. And I, I don't know when that started, where it came from. I have, I have no idea. What, what do you mean by strained? Oh, um, I think a lot of physicians were like, don't step on my toes. Okay. Here's a, here's a good example for you. So this is when I very first started. So this was in the 90s, right? So there was a prescription that was written for a patient who was just starting on Coumadin Warfarin blood thinner, right? 10 milligrams. The normal starting dose is maybe five, maybe less. So now they have like genetic testing for it. But it was written for a 10 milligrams for this guy who'd never been on Coumadin before. So I said... Have you been on Coumadin before? Did he do some blood tests on you before you started this? He goes, oh, no, we just want to start it and see how it works. No problem. So I called the physician. I was like, 10 milligrams is really a pretty high dose. Maybe you, I would recommend starting a lower dose. Well, first of all, I talked to his nurse. I did not talk to the physician, which happens a lot, which honestly is fine with me. I really don't mind, whatever. He called me back personally and was like, don't ever tell me what to prescribe for my patients. Oh, God. Okay? So I think there was... You want to talk about pharmacists that suck? There are a lot of physicians that suck, Please do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious, Sarah. It's true. It's sad. I agree. It's sad to me because truly, I was was like 21 or whatever. I was a new pharmacist in practice, and I thought, if this is what's going to happen to me every time I call a physician, I'm not going to call, right? right? So then you're dealing with just the patient, and I'm trying to educate the patient. So you don't want to – and then I come to the ethical point. Well, do you fill the prescription? Like maybe Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have filled it. Right? I mean, ethically, I knew that that patient could be harmed from taking that much medication. He could bleed out. He could die from that, that dose med. Like, do I not give it to him? Do I not dispense it? I've already pissed the doctor off one time, right? Do right. I not fill it? What do I do at this point? Do I? And the patient wasn't an easy person to deal with either, which is mm-hmm. fine. And plus, he's getting meds. Nobody likes meds. And you come to the pharmacy, and you're in a bad mood anyway because you're sick. You don't feel good. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I ended up filling it for him, and this is what I said to him. I said, this, this is really dangerous. And I said, I have two options. If I don't fill it, though, you're going to take it down the road, and somebody else is going to fill it for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and what do you do at that point? Like, I couldn't call and schedule INRs. I couldn't. I can't do it. I still can't do that, okay, unless I have a collaborative practice with a physician. So I said, you need to follow up with this physician very, very quickly. And I, you know, counseling watch for the bleeding. That's what I did. He ended up with a bloody nose like four days later and went into the hospital. So it's like one of those things like, so this is what, this is what makes the pattern. Okay. So pharmacists now, I have students on rotation and this is what I encourage them to do. And I think one thing that makes pharmacists not suck, give me options. Like if you're calling a doctor and saying, Hey, this pill isn't covered on your insurance. What is, give me an option. So what's normally covered? And I'll, I'll write for that. That's okay. Well, so that raises a question in prescribing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've gotten in the habit of, because our EHRs are hor- so horrible, mm-hmm. that uh, what will happen is I'll put a brand name in, yep. and it automatically dumps my prescription and says, no, these are the only ones alternative, and they put generics in. Instead of saying, oh, the generic equivalent's this, I'll fill it like that. Right. Um, I've gotten in the habit now, if I can't remember, I'm going to use a brand name, yep. uh, Tessalon, yep. and I don't say Benzonitate, because yep. it's Ohio and everybody coughs. Um, <laughs> especially this time of year, that I just put down, you may substitute with an generic, covered generic equivalent. Good. I don't know if that's suitable, because I think you said once if we put in brand name, the pharmacist is obliged to do it. If I put a disclaimer in the note saying you may substitute with any covered generic 
alternative? Is that acceptable? Can the pharmacist act on that? Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. So when, when, a, when a medication comes in a brand and a generic, and we could actually do an entire show on brands and generics. So <laughs> if a covered drug comes in a brand and generic, let's use Cymbalta, okay, duloxetine. So let's say, because so, it just came out in a generic. So the physician writes for Cymbalta, and you write the prescription, and you send it to the pharmacist. As long as there's no indication on there that you want a brand only, so duloxetine is AB rated, which means the FDA has said, this is Cymbalta, this is the equivalent generic, and you are allowed to substitute that because it's an equivalent generic, okay? So Cymbalta gets substituted to duloxetine automatically. You don't have to say to use a generic because there's a generic available. All right. If on that prescription somehow – we used to have to write handwrite, but now you can – if you type on that note, dispense as written, dispense as written, and you wrote the prescription for Cymbalta – I am obligated as the pharmacist to only fill it for Cymbalta, and I am not allowed to substitute that unless I call you and say, hey, is a generic okay with this? And you'd have to call the physician for that. Correct. Correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if, they have, if they're actually the same chemicals, so mm -hmm. like Cymbalta is duloxetine. If it's duloxetine and it's been shown to be equivalent with in the orange book, there's a book called the orange book that ha talks about substitutions. If it's approved in the orange book, I can substitute it. But if it's Cymbalta for Dulera, where it's different drugs in there, a different long-acting beta agonist, and a different steroid, I cannot substitute that without calling. And that's why I think even for med students to come and spend four hours behind that pharmacy mm. would just be amazing just to see what the process is like. And honestly, as a pharmacist, it's really frustrating. Like, because I know what's covered, and let's say none of those inhalers are covered, and I know there's one single inhaler that's covered, and that's the only one that the insurance is going to pay for. I can't do anything with that until I call you and get your okay. Sure. So what, what do you wish med students knew more about uh, being a pharmacist or the interaction that you have with physicians? Your pharmacists that are coming out now, and the ones, dude, there's some people, they've been around for years. They know the answers to your questions. And they are, what an awesome collaboration. Because honestly, for me, with diagnoses, I'm kind of like, meh, right? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, with even a nurse practitioner. That's I am drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, okay. that's why we can be a good team. <laughs> it's all about collaboration. <laughs> it is, though. And even yeah. I watch my students when they come and sit in a class with you. I'll bring them to the, the CBLs, the groups. The interaction is amazing because all my pharmacists know is drugs. They know a little physiology. So to watch you and your physiology is amazing for them. Um, if you need help with drugs, if you don't yeah. know ask somebody. I, I told, I used to teach the, there was a, a, a block in between um, that got you ready for your rotations. Okay. So they don't do that anymore, which is fine. But I used to teach a, like a two hour pharmacy course. And I used to teach you about prescription writing and communication. And I said, pick your favorite pharmacist, pick one. When you go on your rotations or when you go on your residency, whatever, if you have a pharmacist that you really like who helps you, call them, text them, ask them questions. They would be happy to help you. They went through a long, a long time in school to answer your drug questions. Also, there you learn drug classes, right? Like ACE inhibitors and calcium channel blockers. What the pharmacist knows is why each one of those in that class is different than the other one. So is lisinopril better? Is it cheaper? Do you take it once a day or twice a day? Does it have more drug interactions than something else on the list? That's what they know. Mm -hmm. So if you want a specific, if you want to know the difference, ask. What should I, what does this person need? 
if they're 75 years old and they're taking 10 other drugs, I don't know if these drugs interact. And my EMR says there's 50 different drug interactions, and I don't know which one to select or if it's important or if I can change the dose and that would make it better. Like, is a lower dose better? I don't know. Maybe. Ask the questions. Sure. And, Ask and the questions. You know, you, you mentioned that um, in, in the early to late 90s, there were a lot of strained relationships between pharmacists yeah. and physicians. And you've been in the field for a little while now. Uh, what sorts of changes have you seen um, you know, now that we're in, in 2017? Is it gotten better, worse? Definitely better, which is exciting for me. So what's been changing? The new pharmacists that are coming out, they're like, I am going to make a difference in this, right? I'm going to make good relationships. I'm going to be more clinical. I'm going to create my own path. So I think there are pharmacists coming out who have more confidence in their abilities to make suggestions. And I think physicians also are becoming more open to the suggestions because as the drug lists widen, man, there's a lot out there, right? There's a lot to know as diagnoses and there's new drugs coming out every day. So um, it's just going to be a better discussion. I think that pharmacists learning what your job is, that your job is diagnosis and my job isn't diagnosis. And then um, physicians learning that, hey, I can ask my pharmacist and they're going to be nice to me. <laughs> or they're going to give me options. Like, give me an option. How am I going to give you a drug that's covered? I don't know. What, don't you know that? And they should. Yeah, they should know what's covered. Or at least give you an option that they could try. Here's all the different things I know about. I'm not sure which one's covered under this insurance, but let's try which one you want to try and we'll try it. Give me the order. Right? That's easy. Right, right. You know, now we're wrapping up this episode here. Um, just a few minutes left. And I want to ask Sam, you know, you've been uh, sitting in on the panel Sorry, as Sam. our re <laughs> resident person uh, off the street. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, do you have any questions or comments for Dr. Atkins that you've I, thought of? I have many, and I have limited time. So. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> what would you say are the biggest challenges facing not just pharmacists, but the collaboration between um, physicians and um, pharmacists in the future? Good. Two, two, two answers. The first one, the biggest problem, insurance. That's, that's the first one, biggest one. I think it's just a healthcare issue in general. So, um, and the second one I think goes along with that, which is communication. So if we can communicate, because we can't solve the insurance problems right here, right now, right? They used to tell me. So when I was at Medco, the big joke was everything was like a, a saying or right, like low hanging fruit. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> This is the buzzword bingo <laughs> cup. So, you, what you yes. what you take that that okay? So I'm gonna give a plug to to Doctor Man. Doctor Man's an army officer who comes up with this stuff, and I bought it because if you go to a meeting, you can sit there yes. and just take your dry erase marker and check it off as people are doing. So low hanging fruit. Yeah. You know this is parent, game changer. Game changer. Just check it That's off. That's fantastic. And then the logistic. And, and, so, and then in the middle of the meeting, Holistic. when you hit bingo, you just yell bingo. And no one knows what the heck you're talking about. This is perfect. Honest to God, I wish I had one of these. Would you like a buzzword bingo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should give you a buzzword bingo. This is good. This yeah. is good. Okay. So insurance and communication. We can't solve insurance, right? We all know this. This is a big issue, obviously. It's like one of the largest. Plus, I work in a free clinic, and it's just huge. Okay. And it, I was going to say, the word, one of the buzzwords, they said, you can't boil the ocean. You can't boil the ocean. Right, really? Like, all right, I want to try though. I'm going to really try. Didn't Diaz talk about boiling the ocean. About oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, boiling the ocean of knowledge. This is a different ocean. <laughs> Still a buzzword. Put that on your cup and mark it off. <laughs> all right, so you can't boil the ocean. So we know we can't fix insurance, but we sure can communicate with each other, right? Have a discussion. 
And if the pharmacist has a question, and I also think what limits a pharmacist, the pharmacist call to you is the fact that there's not a lot of time. You don't have time. They don't have time. They're trying to get a hold of you. They know you're busy. They're busy. They got 10 people lined up at the window. What does the improved communication oh. look like? Okay. Any this, ideas? In my head, it would be this. Like, I'm calling the doctor. And it's not going to change a whole lot, but the, the physician's understanding that I can't change things without their okay, I don't enjoy that either. It makes me feel like a little peon. Like, seriously, I went through eight years of school to not be able to switch Cymbalta to Dolera with the same similar dosing. I can't do it. It's not legal for me to do that. So, um, so things aren't going to change as far as that goes until laws change. And with a tiny, tiny lobby, that probably isn't it's not going to happen as quickly as we'd hoped. Like, we keep trying for that. Collaborative practices are happening now, and you actually can sign a contract. If there's a pharmacist you like or a particular pharmacy that you use that you get good results from, you can do collaborative practices. Let's say, okay, I do a lot of asthma patients. All my asthma patients are taking a particular drug, and if that's not covered on their plan, I want this pharmacist to be able to select what is covered and change it to that with an equivalent dosing. And you could write a collaborative practice agreement and give that to the pharmacist and the pharmacy and allow them to do that for you. I think this is a challenge to the medical students out there to talk to their uh, the, the curriculum people and say, I want to do a two-week rotation or a week rotation with a, with a clinical pharmacist. I'll set that up. I, I think you, we should do that. And I think that's something that HCOM could pioneer in saying that, no, we, we feel it's... Um, and I don't want to speak for the dean or yep. Dr. Wadsworth or curriculum people, but yeah. I just want to say that I think there's something to be investigated there. You think a week with a I think with that'd be plenty, yeah. To, to just, just to get an idea. Immerse them into the yeah. world of the clinical pharmacist and yeah. say, cool. you're going to go oh, sit yeah. down there with that, that guy or gal who's trying to help you out and learn how to what they do. Yep. Uh, man, that, what an exciting thing to do. And the best thing for my students mm. has been sitting in, we hang out at the residency clinic. So the best thing for my students is to see what the physicians do on the other end. Well, this has been a, a great conversation, uh, and I hate to cut it off, but we are running out of time. <laughs> Sorry. But we can continue on uh, in, in a further episode Absolutely. Um, in this conversation with Dr. Atkins. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and, and thank you, Good Sam. collaboration. Yeah, look at this collaboration. <laughs> We're starting early. <laughs> And, and thank good you, coffee. Yes, great coffee. And thank you, Sam, for joining us thank off you. the street. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue on this conversation in the next episode. So thank you for listening. This thank has been you. another episode of Rotations. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medical and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. Rotations is a product of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and the Scripps College of Communications. Rotations is hosted by Nisar Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Brian Plow. Rotations is co-hosted by League of Champions of All Things Medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com and putting the word Rotations in the subject line. 